Good morning. Thanks for tuning in today. Historically, the least attended church service in America is the Sunday uh, right after Thanksgiving. Typically, people are still visiting their visiting with their their relatives, and because of COVID nineteen, and because we're not doing the in person worship thing, uh, I'm really hoping that there's going to be some well actually hundreds and hundreds of people that are going to be uh, worshiping online with us today. So uh, I want us to focus a bit on what we've learned in this series. This is the last message. This ends this series on, on how to build a great life. And this one is entitled, What God Has Taught Us. So what has God taught you throughout this message? What are some of the lessons you've learned? One thing we've learned is building a great life is not like building a great building or any building because God is far more interested in building disciples than he is in building programs or curricula or classrooms or buildings. So my goal through this sermon series was to stretch you spiritually. It was to deepen your faith, extend your love, enlarge your sphere of service, teach you to build and to keep commitments, uh, teach you uh, greater levels of sacrifice, and then to talk about Christ-like, being a Christ-like follower is a service-oriented servant. So because of the COVID-19, I put this sermon series together to help you walk through this, these crazy times because we need to understand how we can still have a great life regardless of the situation we in, we're in. And my goal in this series is to, to uh, build and to grow you in godly character. Because of COVID-19, this service, um, or this particular church, Zion, will never be the same. We will never be what we used to be before COVID-19. And one of the reasons is because we've had some real miracles take place here. And most of those miracles took place in the hearts and minds of the Zion folks. Many people have told me that they're now reading their Bible like never before. They've taken time now to do their devotions. They're home and they've got the time. Uh, they're spending time with their children, having meals together uh, as a family and hearing, listening and hearing the voice of God for the first time. Now there's a word in the Bible for this sort of experience and this word uh, has been occurring and has happened to many of you in the last seven weeks. And it's called revival. Revival is when God actually grabs a hold of you and he grabs your attention and bang, you're changed. Your life is changed. You now start doing things that you normally would have never done. And you start making sacrifices, big ones and little ones. And that's what happened to Zion over the past seven weeks. Lives have been changed. They've been changed forever. So what have you learned? Well, Deuteronomy 11.2 says this. Remember what you've learned about the Lord through your experiences with Him. We've got to remember that. And by the way, if you haven't seen the TV series entitled The Chosen, please take time to watch it. It's amazing. It wonderfully portrays Jesus as a loving and caring shepherd and teacher, a friend and savior. You, you got to watch it. It's on PureFlex and it's on some, something else too, I'm sure. But you got to watch it. It's, it's awesome. And in Deuteronomy 
chapter 4, verse 9, it says, Be careful to never forget what you've seen God doing for you. Let me read that again. Be careful to never forget what you've seen God doing for you. May his miracles have a deep and permanent effect on your lives. Tell your children and your grandchildren. He said, don't forget about this experience and tell people about it. But we do forget. And we don't tell our children and our grandchildren. And that's what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. They, uh, they spent 40 years uh, walking through the wilderness for a journey that should have only taken a couple of weeks. Why? Because they kept forgetting what God had done for them. God had do them a miracle, a huge miracle, and they'd forget it. And then on top of that, they even complained. So then God would do another miracle, and then they would forget about that miracle. And they'd act like God had never done anything for them. And, oh, oh God, why aren't you doing this for me? Why aren't you protecting? Why aren't you caring? God says, you're to remember the things you've learned from all the experiences you go through with me. There are some things in your Christian life that can only be learned by experience. You can go to Bible studies every night of the, of the week and still never really learn some things. You could talk about faith, and, but it's another thing to stretch and grow your faith. You could study all about sacrifice, but until you actually make a sacrifice, you haven't really learned totally about sacrificing. You can learn about giving and generosity and purpose and faith and character, the things that we've been talking about. But until you act on these things throughout this whole series, I've been talking about these things, but until you act on these things, it's just, just theory. It's just another theological uh, concept for you to think about and, and uh, hope that you'll place into your life. And because there are some things that you can only learn through experience, I'm going to ask you, what have you learned about God? First, I hope you've learned that God is still in control. Um, we've seen God do his thing to us over and over, showing that, that he's in control. God demonstrates his control of our lives and in control of this world in so many ways. There's a lot of miracles and a lot of circumstances and even the coincidences that have happened. When I say coincidences, it's in quote. And all the answered prayer that has happened in our lives. Do we credit to fate or do we give the credit to God? During the last seven weeks, people have been separated uh, from each other in their marriage. They've been praying to get back with their spouse. Uh, during the last seven weeks, we've had people enslaved in alcohol, drugs, and tobacco, and they're praying to be set free. Uh, people uh, who have been praying for the past 10 and 20 years that their friends or their family member would finally come to know Jesus in a real way, they've been thinking about these, this sermon series and when they finally have allowed God to move in their lives, that's when they started seeing. When they stepped out, of, out in faith and they allowed God to work and take control of their lives, that's when they started hearing the voice of God saying, yeah, do it. I got your back. I got it. And then things started to happen. In Psalm 77, the Bible says this, 
You are the God of miracles and wonders. You still demonstrate your awesome power. So why does God do miracles anyway? Simple, to show you that he's still in control, that he's still in charge. Okay, so why doesn't God always do miracles when we ask him for one? Simple, same reason, to show you that he's still in charge. You're not in charge. He doesn't work for you. You work for him. In Psalm 78, it says this through the Living Bible. In this way, each generation has been able to set its hope anew on God and not forget his glorious miracles. You don't have to base your faith only on the miracles in the Bible. God is still doing miracles today. He's done them in my life and he's done them in many of your lives. But you got to be in a relationship with him. You got to understand that you need to ask him, but you also need to understand that there are conditions, not for salvation, but for, for him to act in your life. A good question that you need to ask yourself is, are you going to be a casual Christian or are you going to be a committed Christian? So when you feel hopeless and defeated, you got to remember God's in control. So if you're going to be a committed Christian, then trust him. You got to trust the Holy Spirit because as you trust him, the hope that you need, it will defeat your enemies. The courage that you need to guide you, the Holy Spirit will give you that power, that guidance for your spiritual journey. Secondly, we've learned that you can't outgive God. There's a quote that I've, I've heard for years, and now I'm starting to hear it here at Zion. In the past seven weeks, I've heard people say, you can try. You can really try, but you'll never be able to outgive God. The fact is, <clears throat> even if God never, ever did one more thing in your life, through the work on the cross, he's already done more for you than you could ever thank him for. Your sins are forgiven. There's a place for you reserved in heaven. God, in fact, has given you the power for living, the power for your journey. And these are the kinds of things that can never be repaid, never be thanked enough. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 9. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. For God is able to make it up to you by giving you everything you need and more so that there will not only be enough for your own needs, but plenty left over, left over to give joyfully to others. And it's not just talking about money. It's talking about everything, everything that exists. We all know that we can learn a lot about life by observing the patterns of life in nature, right? We all know that Newton's third law of motion says, for every action in nature, there is an equal and opposite reaction. We know that. We also know that there are both good and bad consequences for behavior. We also know that the Bible says you reap what you sow in life. But did you know, did you realize that you always reap more than you sow? When you plant one seed in the ground, you don't just get one seed back, do you? When you put one sunflower seed from the head of a sunflower 
into the ground, you get 1,000 to 1,400 seeds back. When you put a single head, from a single head of corn, you get about 800 kernels back. From one watermelon, you get about 200 to 800 seeds in return. This is an example of the natural principle of sowing and reaping. It teaches you that tomorrow's destiny is determined by what you do today. What you do today is going to determine your destiny for tomorrow. So the question is, do you ever sow and reap in the same season? And the answer is no. No, we don't. You reap, you, you plant in the spring, and then you reap in the summer or the fall. There's always a delay. Some people almost think that you should give a, a, a quarter and get back $100. That's the sowing and reaping. That, that's not. Not the next day. Not the same day. Um, uh, the harvest is inevitable if you take the leap of faith. The harvest is inevitable when you drop a seed in the soil. The harvest is inevitable when you sow your seed. It's just a matter of time. You got to give it time. God doesn't lie. God says, if you sow, you are going to reap. But God says, I will give you a harvest of blessing. So it's up to him and he will decide what comes from that seed. So how, how does God bless your life? Well, he blesses you in a variety of ways, all sorts of ways. He blesses you spiritually and emotionally, rationally, uh, relationally, excuse me, um, financially, um, physically, gives you, with health, he blesses you. And some blessings and rewards, they're so great that they're reserved for heaven. But you can always count on God giving you a harvest blessing for what you've sown, always. You always can, you're always going to reap a harvest of blessing, period. Number three, you grow by making and keeping commitments. I've watched many of you stretch, uh, be stretched and, and be challenged uh, to go to a deeper level of your faith, to make greater sacrifices than you've ever expected or dreamt. Some of you are trying for the very first time to tithe and you're thinking, wow, I, I, and you're doing it by faith and you say, I really want to do this. I can't wait to see what God's got for me. Thank you for trying. Thank you for reaching out. Uh, are out of the boat, stepping out of the boat. Thank you for giving it uh, a shot. As your pastor, I'm so proud of you. Um, I just had a woman come in today and uh, um, tell me about her experience that she finally decided that she, she wants to try to, to tithe. And she loved the, the image of, of being up in heaven and walking by and seeing all this warehouse of all these wonderful gifts and, and, and was asked, well, Ask the uh, angel or Jesus, who, what's in there? What are, all the, what are all these presents for? And the Lord said to her, well, those are all the things that you could have had had you, had you been walking in obedience, had you asked. You, you uh, received not because you asked not, because you're not in the relationship with him that he wants you to be in. And as your pastor, I'm so proud of you guys for stepping out and trying it. I've seen the struggles that you've had as you've tried to walk through these struggles and to where God's brought you to today. But this is the God who teaches all of us that we must struggle in order to grow. That's how a muscle grows. That's how everything works. Commitment is the foundation of character. 
You got to make a commitment and keep a commitment. And that is the foundation to your personal character. It's a starting point of spiritual maturity, the mark of maturity. And it's time, every time that you make a commitment, there's going to be a test in that commitment. Do you really want to go to the gym? Do you really want to do the things that you've, that you've made the commitment to? But when you keep that commitment, you grow. You spiritually grow when you do it in the spiritual realm. Every time you forgive somebody, you grow spiritually. Every time you drive to church and get out of your car and come in or turn on uh, your computer or television and, and you watch a Zion worship service, you're going to grow spiritually. Every time you do your daily devotions, you start singing praise songs, you're going to grow spiritually. Every time you, you act generously, you're going to grow spiritually. Every time you listen to the voice of God and you let him lead you, you're going to grow spiritually. Because every time you make and keep your commitments, it's always going to be a test. It's going to be a test in order for you to exercise your faith. But you will grow spiritually and you will see the hand of God move in your life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 16, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. I love that promise. I love knowing that God's always watching. Now we've talked about this verse before that God's looking for people to use and looking for people to, to bless. And the only condition he's put on this promise is that he's looking for people who are fully committed to him, not partially committed, not kind of committed. James 2, 17 says, Faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's dead. Faith is not just something you say or you think or you feel. Faith is not something you feel or discuss. It's some faith is, is actually something that you do. You do faith. There are millions and millions of people around the world, groups and ministries everywhere. They talk a lot about faith. But we here at Zion... I'm so proud to say that we do faith. We step out in faith. We practice faith. We are a people of faith in action. Because faith without action is dead. It doesn't work. It's not real faith. Because faith without action, it, it never works. It never has worked. It's worthless. I think God looked down on planet Earth and he kind of searched the whole world and he found a group at a, and a people at a church called Zion. And he said, you know, the people at Zion, they trust me over there. That's a place where they put it on the line. They put it on the line for me. That's where they put their money where their mouth is. They don't just talk about trusting me. They actually get out of the boat and they try and they test me. And they put me to the test and they walk on water. There's miracles happening, there's marriages, healings. There's all kinds of great things that happened. And this isn't something that's just unique to our church. It's just something that our church is walking in right now. And I think God is very, very, very pleased with Zion because of Zion's faithfulness. And I believe during this COVID time, God is bringing us into a, a new season, a new and renewed adventure with a new and renewed power for the journey. The second thing I think we've all learned is it really feels good to give. I can tell you that a study in 2008 out of the Harvard Business School found that people who give to charities, 
something happens in them physiologically. Um, it activates a region in their brain that associates with pleasure, with social connections, and with trust. And it releases these endorphins in our brain, producing these positive feelings. They're now named as and are coined as uh, and branded as, actually, as help, a helper's high. It's the helper's high. It's saying that the fact, it's a fact now that giving makes people feel better. It's, it's not just a thought. It's a truth. It's a fact. The Bible says in Acts 20, there's more happiness in giving than in receiving. And now we know that that's a fact, not just faith. And many of you have known this verse for a long time. But now, this COVID, one good thing that's happened is COVID is it's really focused us on who Jesus is. We need his help. We are calling out to God for help. And now you've experienced it through giving of your time, your attention, all kinds of stuff, not only to God, but also um, to other people. We've already started hearing stories, lots of them, as about how people have been giving and how this giving has been transforming their life. How cool is that? So I want to give a special thanks today uh, for those of you who have actually done one of the most incredible things that we can do, and that's to put Zion in your will. It, it's such a big deal so that when you pass on, you continue to bless the church. And I want to tell you that I purpose, um, personally need to thank the Marilyn Larson family, their estate, and the Virgil and Elaine Anderson family estate for directing a portion of their estate to Zion. Why? Because, because of this bequest, in conjunction with the endowment fund here at Zion, we have been able to be online with cameras and lights and microphones. We've been able to, to uh, purchase all the necessary equipment needed to be able to do these services online. It's a miracle, as well as to be able to do other videos and discipleship videos online. And I want to also thank all of you who have been giving stocks and bonds. I didn't even know you could give stocks and mutual funds above and beyond your typical giving. And I want to thank you for that. The, especially this whole year-end giving thing has is, is been a blessing. So thank you, and, and please continue to do it. I want to thank you again. I have a verse for you. During the people in Jesus' day, there was a verse because of something they did. In 2 Corinthians 8, 2, it says, their joy, talking about the people of Jesus' day, their joy was so great that they were extremely generous in their giving. Why? Because they found it to be true, all these principles to be true. And it's true today. And it still feels really good to give. But in closing, all the things we've learned, I need you to know that I know that some who are watching today, who are listening, you chose not to participate in the giving part of uh, this sermon series. And I know that some of you just thought, maybe I'll sit out and sit on the sidelines and kind of watch from the bleachers. Uh, and maybe you're even looking at it with a skeptical eye. And maybe you don't even like the whole idea of a pastor talking about finances or any kind of giving, for that matter, from the pulpit. And some of you may even be mad at me or upset with me because I did it. But to those of you who have sat on the sideline, you need to know that there are hundreds of people 
hundreds of people who are giving not grudgingly and not out of guilt, not out of pressure, but they've been giving with a grateful heart, with a joyful heart, with their, they're eager to give. And I want to challenge you to examine your own reaction and ask yourself, why? Why do I feel the way I do when the church talks about giving? What is it that's going on inside of me? Some of you may feel a twinge of regret and still want to give this, this Shabbat sort of uh, 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 free will offering for Thanksgiving, a fall harvest giving. It's not too late. We're still taking, people are still giving, these checks are still coming in. People are still dropping off the envelopes. Because you see, God is looking, he's still looking for people who believe in him, who trust in him, who want to be blessed by him. And the result, he is going to bless them. And when you look at a, a jigsaw puzzle and one of the pieces are missing, what do you focus on? You focus on that missing piece. You're looking for it. You want to find it. If you don't want to miss out on this opportunity, if you want to find your opportunity, if you want to participate, it's not too late for you to still give and to be a part of this harvest giving. But I need to give you a warning. I need to let uh, uh, us close this service with a warning. That Satan is still out there and he's always trying to rob you of your joy. He's still out there and he's trying to rob you of happiness. He still wants to rob you of the joy of giving. He's going to lie to you. He wants to rob you from making the, uh, receiving the joy of a commitment, making and keeping a commitment, and the joy of a sacrifice and stretching of faith. Satan will use anything he can to rob you of everything he can in every place he can, and in every situation he can. Since COVID-19, extra pressure has been put on every business, every school, every church, every family, every relationship, and every marriage. And even though I know that God's got it, even though I know I ought to be living out of victory rather than, uh, and not living for victory, let me say that again. Even though I know I ought to be living out of victory and not living for victory because we've already won the battle. Christ has already won the battle. I can get caught up in the things that have nothing, nothing directly to do with the church or with my relationship with Jesus. And yet I can be conned by the devil and he robs me, robs me of the kind of life that God wants because I get tricked. In this Advent season, which today is Advent, the first Sunday in Advent, in this Advent season, let this Advent season be the beginning of a new adventure, a new and renewed adventure of faith, service, purpose, commitment, sacrifice, thanksgiving, and gratitude. And we do this all with the help of God's Holy Spirit in you and through you for power for the journey. Let's rise for closing prayer. Heavenly Father, this series has been amazing. Lives have been changed. People have experienced 
uh, a new relationship with you, maybe a first-time relationship with you, but certainly a renewed relationship with you. And Lord, I want to thank you and ask that you would help us to be able to walk in all the new principles you've taught us and that we might deepen our faith so that we might build a life that would be pleasing to you, build a great life that would bless you and bless others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving and God bless you. And I'm really looking forward to uh, the Christmas season. And I, we have some really fun surprises in store for you. Uh, please keep uh, tuning in, uh, checking on the website, check your Zmail, find out what we're going to be doing because we've got a lot of fun things coming. Don't let COVID-19 shut you out because COVID-19, we're going to be leveraging it and using it to build God's kingdom and we're going to uh, uh, make it something to be proud of that during COVID-19 was the time that we saw revival at Zion. So thank you again for watching. God bless you. And again, happy Thanksgiving.